0: Time to study it. Uh, this is there's something really weird in this chapter. A really weird event happens, and I don't think I ever really understood it. Um, I've read it. I'm like sh- many of you have. I'm sure you've read it several times, and um, but I didn't really understand it. And so I've been looking forward to just getting time to sit down and just study it and and try to get a better understanding of it. And 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 I did. And uh, I think that. Um, the lesson it has is a huge lesson uh, for you and i as as Christians today now let's talk a little bit about Jacob for all of jacob's life, he has labored under this fundamental misconception, and that is that he's he always feels that spiritual blessings have to be obtained through fleshly methods. okay let me say that again he 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 understands that that he's entitled to the blessings of God. He's been chosen for that, but yet he feels like he has to get them through cheating and through deception and through bargaining and, and all these fleshly means. Now, I'm going to tell you that if to understand this chapter, you have to understand that, okay? That is hugely important. By the way, This very same thing can be true for for many, many Christians today. They feel that spiritual blessings have to be obtained through fleshly means. And so, again, I kind of made a a point of saying how important that is, because if you want to understand this chapter, you have to understand that. Now, this chapter is going to turn out to be a a pivotal moment, a watershed event in in Jacob's life. And it all begins with this long-standing fear of his brother. Now, you remember back in Genesis 27, which happened 20 years ago in our timeline, Jacob's mother sends him away, right? His brother wants to kill him. Uh, she's heard that. So she sends him away to Haran, to Mesopotamia, and she says, just go for a little while, right? Y'all remember that? Just stay for a little while, and when your, when your brother's anger has abated, I'll send for you, and you can come back. Now, you've got to remember 20 years have gone by and he hadn't heard a word. 20 years have gone by. She never sends a messenger. She never sends for him. So in his mind, he has to assume Esau still hates his guts. Right? If Esau didn't hate him anymore, she would have sent a messenger. But she never sent anybody. So he has to make an assumption Esau's still mad. Esau's still angry. So as he's returning home... He's got very good reason to be afraid of his brother. Now, let's pick our story up in verses 1 and 2. This is Genesis 32. It says, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanim, which means two camps. Now, this story starts off really good. I mean, what what could be more reassuring is that you're on your way back to the Promised Land and you see these angels. Okay, Now, how he knows they're angels and what they look like, the Bible doesn't tell us any of that. Um, But he makes his campsite. He says, you know what, I'm going to camp right here, right alongside this angelic camp, or what he calls God's camp. And so he makes camp and he names the place two camps. So the angel's camp is one camp and his camp is the other. Verses 3 through 5. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, female servants, and I have sent to tell my lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. Now Jacob is doing the smart thing, okay? Okay. He is initiating contact with his brother. He's not just going to wait around and, 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 and just see what happens. He initiates contact with his brother. And what he does, notice what he said. He sends a message to his brother and says, look at all the stuff I've got. I've got oxen and donkeys and camels and cows and all this stuff. Now, you may think, well, why would he, why would he, why would he do that? Well, it's, it's a smart move what he's doing. But again, keep in mind what his problem is. It's a fleshly response to a spiritual problem. And I'm going to bring this up several times. He, it's a smart move, right? Let, let me go ahead and make contact with my brother, but it's a fleshly response to a spiritual problem. And the reply he gets in return is not very promising. Verse 6, And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he's coming to meet you, and he's got 400 men with him. Now listen to me. That can't be good, Right? That's not a welcoming party, that's an army. He's not coming with a few guys to say, Hey, welcome back, pat you on the back. He's got 400 men with him. And I'm sure any of us would have responded just like Jacob did. Verse 7 and 8. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. Now, once again, this is a smart move. He hears his brothers coming with 400 men, so he divides everything he has into two camps. And he says, okay, if, if Esau attacks one camp, then at least the other one will survive. If he attacks the other one, at least this other one will survive. So he's doing the best that he can to make smart moves to protect himself. But once again, it's a fleshly response to a spiritual problem. That's what he always does. He's got spiritual problems, and he and he attacks them or he approaches them with a spiritual, I'm sorry, with a fleshly response. Now finally, we see him pray. Verses nine through twelve. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I have crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good, and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. Now let me say a couple things about this prayer. First, it it seems to evidence a new humility in, in Jacob. He says, you know, I'm not worthy. Okay, so he's saying the right things, also, there's no bargaining with God. You remember twenty years ago he said, "If you'll be my God I and mean, if you'll protect me and 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 bring me back to this place safe, you'll be my God." He made a bargain with God. Here he doesn't do that. All, he just says, "Look, you promised this. He just refers to to God's word and says, You promised me that you would do this thing, right? So in one sense, this is a good prayer. I, you know you can't you look at this prayer, and I don't really see anything wrong with it, but as far as we know, there's no sign or no response from God. So Jacob is left to wait, right? Now, as he waits for his brother, he gets another idea, okay? So here's his next idea, and remember what I said earlier, Jacob is always looking for fleshly solutions to spiritual problems, and he does the same thing again. Verses 13 to 21. So he stayed there that night, And from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys. And these he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself. And he said to his servants, Pass on ahead of me, and put a space between drove and drove. And he instructed the first, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong, where are you going, and who... "...whose are these ahead of you? You shall say, They belong to my servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my lord Esau, and moreover he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him. You shall say, Moreover, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face, and perhaps he will accept me." So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. All right, let me explain what's going on here. He basically, Jacob's got all these animals, right? He is a very wealthy man. And so he's got cows, he's got sheep, he's got camels, he's got donkeys, and he got goats. So what he does is he separates a part of his herb into droves. So he separates out a drove of cows, he separates out a drove of goats, one also of, um, uh, of the sheep and the donkeys and the camels. And then he, what, what he does, he sends out, I think the first thing he sends out is the goats. He says, okay, take the goats and you guys leave. And so they leave out. Okay, And about two or three hours later, he sends the sheep behind him. And about two or three hours later or whatever time is, he sends out the camels. So Esau is on his way to Jacob, and the first thing he's going to do is he's going to run into these guys with these goats. And he's going to say, hey, who do these belong to? And they're going to say, these are Jacob's, these are a present to you. And so he'll take them and he'll continue on his journey going toward Jacob. And a little while down the road, two or three miles, five miles, whatever, he runs into the sheep. And, and he says, hey, who's the sheep are these? And they say, these are Jacob's, they're a present. Everybody see what's going on? So he's got them all separated. And so as Esau runs into the goats first, then the sheep, then the camels, then the cows, then the donkeys. And he'll run into all five of those before he ever gets to Jacob. Now... This is a smart move, right? He's trying to appease him. Now, let me say this real quickly. It would be easy to ascribe Jacob's actions to fear, which, by the way, are probably true, okay? But you also have to be very careful. After all, and I wrote this down, vital faith doesn't mean idle faith, okay? In, In other words, if you look at what he did, you might say, well, is that a God thing or is that a man thing? I don't know the answer to that. See, it's not wrong to pray and then plan. There's nothing wrong with that. and In fact, there's always a sense in which, uh, as, as um, James says, faith without works is dead. God expects us to plan. He expects us to pray and He expects us to plan. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem comes when we don't go to God with our plans. The, the, the problem comes when we rely more on our plans than we do on God. Are you with me? Listen, I, I could throw this out there. Retirement—is it wrong to to plan for retirement? Is it wrong to put money aside for retirement? Is it wrong to save for retirement? Yes and no. It all depends on your heart. Are you relying on God for your retirement? Are you are you planning within the confines of His Word, or are you just say are you giving Him mouth service and doing what you want to do with your? Are you buddy with me? there's not an easy answer here. I mean, I don't, I, you know, again, so we can't look at something sometime and say, well, that's a God thing or it's not a God thing, okay? But you see, I think the issue here is this. Yes, Jacob prayed, but he immediately comes up with another scheme, another plan. He's immediately seeking a fleshly answer to a spiritual problem. And that's always been his issue his whole life, okay? Now, here's this thing, He he's... He sent servants ahead, he's got all these plans, and then the weirdest thing in the world happens. I call it the weirdest wrestling match ever, okay? Verses 22 to 23. The same night he arose, now think about this, he spent all day organizing. He divided his people up into two camps. Then he took these, he took these sheep and he got them all divided. And Then he got instructions, okay, and he sent all those gifts out to Jacob. Um, to, to Esau. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, or his sons, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them and he sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. Now, the Jabbok River is still there today. It's known today as the Zarqa River in Jordan. It is a tributary of the Jordan River. So it comes out of the Jordan uh, running running west to, to east. And again, it's still there today. It's got a different name. But you could actually go there today and cross that same river that Jacob sent his, um, sent his family across. So Jacob gets up in the middle of the night, and he sends his family across while he stays on the other side. Now, I want you to think about this. He spent all day organizing. He spent all day scheming. He spent all day coming up with plans. And then he tries to get some sleep. And, but he, in his mind, daylight's coming and Esau's coming. And so he's probably laying there thinking, okay, is there anything else I can do? Is there anything else I can do to get ready for this thing? And he says, I know what I'll do. I'll get my family. So he gets up in the middle of the night. He can't sleep. He, 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 he gets his family, his wives and all of his children. And he says, cross this stream. Go to the other side. Go hide yourself. He's trying everything he can to protect his family from, from Esau. And, and as part of this process, he is left alone on the other side of the Jabbok River. Now, I don't know what he's doing. The Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe he's tying up some loose ends. Maybe he's spending time in prayer. I don't know. Maybe he's just got to go back and get some stuff. But for whatever reason, he's left on the other side, okay? And what transpires while he's on the other side of this river is one of the weirdest stories in the Bible. Now, I'm going to read it. And then we're going to go back and we're going to take a look at it. Verses 25 to 32. It says, And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And and we all know the the, the name Jacob means supplanter or or deceiver or cheater. And then this, this man that he's wrestling with said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, which means prince of God. For you have striven with God and with men, and you have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, Well, please tell me your name. And he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, which means face of God, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket. By the way, I looked that up, and what that means is they do not eat the part that contains the sciatic nerve of the animal. Everybody, anybody had ever had sciatic nerve issues in your... Does it hurt? Keep that in mind in just a minute. But that's the part of the hip they don't eat is the sciatic nerve because that man touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Now, let's kind of figure out what's going on. First, we need to remember our context. Okay, Let's put this thing in context. After 20 years away from home, Jacob is on his way back. He's going back to this Canaan with this small tribe that he's got and all this wealth that he's obtained. He is very close. He is just on the other side of the Jordan River. He is very close to the Promised Land. He is very close to his home. He's very close to his mom and dad. He is very close to the blessings of God because God said, I'll bring you back this land and I'll bless you. But right on the other side of the Jordan, he is absolutely terrified because his brother is coming with an army of 400 men. So he has, I mean, so close, but yet there's this huge impediment in his way in his brother Esau and this army. Now, he's prayed. He's done several things. Remember, he sent the messengers, and he did the gifts, and now he's he divided the camps, and he's sent his family across the Jabbok River. He's done all in his power to, to get ready and out of, this, out of nowhere comes this man to wrestle with him. Now, what is going on here? Well, let me say up front that we don't know all the answers about this wrestling match. There's a lot of things that are kind of clouded in mystery. But there are a few things that are clear. First of all, we know that this man was an angel and not just a man. We know that because of the Old Testament. Hosea twelve three through 4 says this, Talking about Jacob, it says, In the womb he took his brother by the heel, and in his manhood he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. So the Old Testament tells us that the man that he's wrestling with is not just a normal man, he is an angel. Now, this is not just any angel, though, okay? It has to be God. because. He said, I have seen what? God face to face. Even Hosea said he strove with who? God. So this has to be Jesus. This has to be the pre-incarnate Christ. It has to be. There's no other option here for us. And by the way, this is backed up in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 4-6 says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus told Philip, he said, Philip, I've been with you this long and you still want to see the Father? You've seen me. You've seen me, you've seen God. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. So so we, if you study commentaries and stuff, this more, I mean, I don't know what else or who else it could have been. It was God, the what we call the angel of God, in, in capital V and a capital A. It's the angel of God, which is the pre-incarnate Christ. Another thing we know is this is not a dream. This is not a vision. He's had dreams and visions before. This is a real wrestling match. You don't, you don't get up from a dream and walk with a limp, do you? This, this really happened. It is a wrestling match, which, by the way, is initiated by God. Not initiated by Jacob. This man wrestles with him. Now, I want to show you some of the things that happened in this wrestling match because they're kind of crazy when you think about it. I'll read a few things. Verse 25. When the man saw... Now, this is God. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint. So here's God wrestling with Jacob, and the Bible literally says he did not prevail. Now, notice it doesn't tell us that he couldn't prevail. Because God could have easily just said, you're done, boy, and it's over, right? He could have spoke the word of his mouth. He says he didn't prevail, which was a choice that God made, not to prevail. So what he does, he reaches down and he touches Jacob's hip socket, and he, just through the touch of his finger, it dislocates his hip. And by the way, because of that area involves that sciatic nerve, it would have been extremely painful excruciating pain. And as a wrestler, it would have been devastating, right? It'd be like a a pitcher breaking his arm or a a running back breaking his leg. As a wrestler, when your hip goes out of socket, you can't do anything. It's over, right? And and as I said, if it would have involved the sciatic nerve, which it seems that it did, it would have been extremely painful. So Jacob is helpless. All he can do at this point is just hold on in desperation, That's all he can do is just hold on in desperation, and that's exactly what he did. Now, at this point, the craziest thing happens. The angel makes a statement, God makes a statement, and basically implies that Jacob has the upper hand. In verse 26, he said, "'Let me go, for the day has broken.'" Isn't that implying that you got the upper hand? You won't, you, I can't prevail over you? You won't let me go? So he says, let me go, implying that Jacob somehow has the upper hand. And you're thinking, well, now, wait a minute. This is God. What is, what is going on here? And at some point during this weird wrestling match, Jacob has realized he's wrestling with God. This isn't just a man that just wandered across the river. This is, this is God. And now that he, he's, he's heard this guy imply, this angel imply that he's got the upper hand, he says, you know what, I'm going to make a request, by the way, which is exactly what God wanted him to do. God is orchestrating this whole thing, as we'll see in just a moment. Now, for Jacob the bargainer, this is a very tempting situation, I'm sure, to make a bargain with God. But he doesn't bargain, he only asks for a blessing. He says, I'll not let you go until you bless me. Okay? Now, what is the point of all this? What's, what's the point of this really weird wrestling match? I want you to look very carefully at what God did when he wrestled Jacob. Remember, Jacob begins the night. Who is he scared of? Esau. He's terrified of, of Esau. He is, he's desperate. He's doing everything in his power to come up with all these schemes to save his family and do all this stuff. He's, and it's all because of Esau. You see, in Jacob's mind, Esau is the barrier that's keeping him out of the Promised Land. Jacob is the barrier to the safety of his family. Jacob is the barrier. But then he has this wrestling match, and the person that opposing him is not Jacob, it's who? It's God. You see, Jacob has always seen his problems in his life, like Esau. He's always seen them as physical problems, as fleshly problems. And so he always opts for fleshly solutions. But for the first time in his life, as he's wrestling with this angel, he realizes it's not Esau who's standing in my way, it's God. Esau fades into the background. God steps to the forefront and says, Son, Esau's not your problem. I'm the issue. I'm the one who controls whether you go in or stay out. It's all about me. Revelation 3, 7 says this, "...and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open." You see, Jacob never got that. When God opens a door, nobody can shut it. But when God shuts the door, nobody can open it. It's always God that should be the issue, not Esau. That's what what God is trying to get across to, to, to Jacob. The blessings of God have to be obtained from God himself. Spiritual problems require spiritual solutions. And this has to be done by clinging to God in absolute dependence. I mean, at the end of the day, that's all he had was just he couldn't do anything. He couldn't, all he could do is just hold on with everything in his might and say, bless me. You see, that is the lesson that we've got to learn from this really weird wrestling match between Jacob and God. And, and learning this lesson, that it's God who opens and shuts doors, not your brother. It's God who opens and shuts doors, not your father-in-law. It's God is always should be the issue, the main priority and issue in our life. Not, not a, it's, it's always a spiritual thing, not a fleshly thing. And you see, when he learned this lesson, it immediately brought about a change in his character and a change in his name. Look at verses 27 to 28. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, You will no longer be called Jacob, cheater, deceiver, but you're going to be called Prince of God. See, it changed. Your name represented his character. Something happened in that wrestling match that changed who he was. He saw something in that match. It's not about... It's not about the physical, it's about Him. He opens and, and, and no one can shut. He closes and no one can, can open. Listen, it's the weirdest wrestling match in the world. God is overcome by Jacob. But how did He overcome it? He didn't do it physically. He wasn't stronger than God. He wasn't quicker than God. He wasn't more adept than God. In fact, He's been immobilized. He can't do anything. His only act is to just cling tenaciously to the angel. In the words of Hosea, says this: He wept. I, I can, in my mind, I'm, I'm envisioning him. Th- this hip is out of socket. The sciatic nerve is just running pain up and down his leg, and everything in him just saying, "Quit, quit, quit!" And he's holding on, and tears are streaming down his face, and he's crying. And and in this sense. God is overcome. Everybody see that? It's not a physical thing. He doesn't beat God or he's not quicker than God or faster than God or more athletic than God or any of those things. He overcame just through the tenaciousness of his faith. You see, what God is trying to teach Jacob in this wrestling match is that the believer's life is one of spiritual warfare, not fleshly warfare. The, the blessings which Jacob are, are to come to him are spiritual blessings. It's all about spiritual things, and spiritual things cannot be obtained through fleshly means. Jacob had to realize that the issue in his life was not his brother, it was his God. You see, if God is with us, we cannot lose. And if God is against us, you cannot win. That's always the case. God is the issue, not our problems. Now, there are two lessons in this. The first one I'm going to give you is a lesson for Israel. Don't forget, Genesis is written by Moses. He writes it after they've left Egypt and before. They've spent 40 years in the desert, 40 years in the wilderness. They're about to go into the promised land, and they're going to have to fight, yes? God doesn't just walk in there and say, hey, you know what? They're just going to, all the people are going to die, and you take over their cities. No, they've got to fight. They've got to battle. And so they need some confidence going in. So one of the things, remember, this, this story originally would have been written for them. Remember years before, I want you to imagine, they're, they're at the door of the promised land. They're about to enter in. And you remember years before they had sent spies into the land? And the spies go into the land and they come back and say, Man, there are giants in that land. They are stronger than us. They're bigger than us. They're, 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 they're more of, I mean, there's no way we can beat them. Kind of like Esau, right? And the people get all this fear and all this dread, and they're right on the cusp of the Promised Land. They're ready to go in. They're ready to obtain the promises of God, the blessings of God, and and they are scared to death because there are giants in, in the land. You see, a whole generation died in the wilderness because they didn't put their faith in God. But the rumors of the giants have not gone away. They just get bigger. Over the years, you know, they might have been started out as seven foot giants. Now they're 20 foot giants, right? Because rumors and and fear just spreads like that. So here's God's people. They're on the edge of going into the land and they have to know how to deal with their fear. This story was to teach them and us that the giants are not their problem. The giants are not the issue. God is always the issue. If God is with you, you cannot lose no matter who's out there. But if God is against you, you cannot win, no matter who's out there. The issue, the priority, is always God. Always. It's not your problems. It's Him. Now, what is the lesson for us? What is the lesson for you and I? There's something really interesting. You remember 20 years before, God appears to Jacob in a dream. Y'all remember he saw the ladder and the angels going up and down the ladder? Twenty years later, he comes to Jacob in a dream again and said, it's time for you to go. Everybody remember, we've studied that over the last, over the last few weeks. This time, he does not come to Jacob in a dream. He, he could have come and like he did those other times and said, Jacob, remember, I'm with you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never leave you. Just trust in me. I promised you I would, I would overcome your enemies. I promised you I'd bring you back to this land. Just trust me. It'll be okay. This time, he doesn't do that. He doesn't come to him with a nice dream. He doesn't come to him with, with nice, reassuring words. Instead, he requires him to wrestle all night long. Now, in this wrestling match, he even, he even afflicts him with a debilitating injury. He, he puts his hip out which, by the way, would have made him even weaker to face Esau instead of stronger. So in this wrestling match, God actually makes him weaker instead of of stronger. But this wrestling match, this battle, changed Jacob like no dream ever could. It, It changed him in a way that just reassuring words could never change him. You see, it actually changed his identity. It changed who he was. No longer would he be known as one who obtained his blessings through cheating and bargaining and deception. This time, he would receive the blessing through faith by prevailing with God through faith. You see, this wrestling match, this struggle, turned out to be an absolute gift of grace from God. That struggle, this battle, created a faith inside of Jacob, a tenacious faith that, that a dream never could. And by the way, a faith which pleased God. God was absolutely pleased by what Jacob... When Jacob just wouldn't quit, he wouldn't let go, God said, just ask what you want. Ask what you want. The lesson which Jacob learned is a lesson which is absolutely crucial and vital to every Christian in this room. And that is this, God is always the issue. It's always about God. You see, as human beings and as people, we are so quick to get our, our eyes off of him and we look at the sickness and we look at the finances and we look at the the failed relationships, we look at the, the marriage, we look at all the problems, and the problems just get bigger and bigger and bigger, and God in our mind gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And what God is trying to get across to us through this, and to Jacob and to the people of Israel, is that God is always the issue. Those problems are nothing compared to Him. If He wants Esau to kill you, Jacob, Esau's going to kill you. If he doesn't want Esau to kill you, then there's, Esau can't touch you. It's all about God. It's got nothing to do with, with Esau at the end of the day. And here's the thing with me and you. God will sometimes, now listen to me very closely, God will sometimes make you wrestle with him. God will sometimes make you wrestle with him. You know, we, we'll go through problems, and sometimes we, we find something in His Word, and we stand on that, and that's, that's what we should do, and that's all great. But sometimes, God will take you through a season where He will make you wrestle. He will make you struggle. And when He does, it's not because He doesn't want to bless us. He does. He wants to bless us. And even though it feels, man, where is God? Why is this so hard? Why am I going through this, this wrestling match, this struggle, so to speak, It's because he's got more blessings in the wrestling match than he does outside of it. There's more blessings for you as a person. There's more that he wants to do in your character while you struggle that he can never do by just giving you some reassuring words. Sometimes the fight, sometimes the struggle, sometimes the wrestling match makes us see things in a completely different way. And God knows that. And that's why he allows us to go through some of these things that we go through. Now, you understand, I hope, I'm not talking about a physical wrestling match. I may be talking about the death of a loved one. I may be talking about a failed marriage. I may be talking about um, uh, rebellious children. I may be talking about uh, financial ruin. I may be... Everybody with me? But there's something in that battle, there's something in that wrestling match with God that God's asking, are you going to hold on? Are you going to hold on? Are you going to wrap your arms around me when you've got nothing else to do and you're going to hold on for dear life and refuse to quit? Refuse to give up. Refuse to stop until you come out of the other side. Are you going to do that? That's what he's wanting from us. That's what he's looking. And it's only that kind of battle that can teach that kind of faith. I'm sorry. You'll never get it when everything's going good. You'll never learn that kind of faith when everything's just all uh, sunny and roses. But boy, when the storm comes, when the battle comes, when the struggle comes, you'll find out real quick who you are with God. What is your real relationship with God? I want you to remember it was God who initiated the match, not Jacob. And, and this match drew Jacob out of this preoccupation with, with Esau. He was just It was all that he could think about. He couldn't sleep because he, all he could think of was Esau. Esau, I, Esau's going to kill me. Esau's going to take all my stuff. Esau's going to going to kill my family and all this stuff, right? And God says, look at me. Focus on me. Put your faith in, in me. By the way, if you would have asked Jacob, Jacob, do you want that struggle? I'm sure he didn't. If you'd have asked him, do you need the struggle? I'm sure he'd have thought, no, I got, I got faith in God. He just wanted to get rid of the Esau problem, but Esau wasn't his problem, right? So the wrestling match is a means of God's grace. It's a channel for God to bless him, not just to deliver him from Esau, but change him as a person. And the same is true for you and I. So I've got some questions for you this morning as we close. What do you really need from God right now? What do you really need in your life? What blessing do you want from him? How badly do you want it? How badly do you want it? Are you willing to hold on? Are you willing to hang on? Are you willing when you've got no more strength, no more of nothing, you just hold on to his leg and, and he's trying to drag and, and you just will not let go? God lo- by the way, God loves that faith. God loves that kind of faith. See, there are, there are times when God only releases his blessings after a period of struggle. That's his business, by the way. I got no, I can't explain why. And, and if necessary, and, I, and I, I don't know any other way to say this, if necessary, God will make you limp. He'll touch you in a way that makes you weaker than you were before. Sometimes we've got to get weaker to get stronger. Sometimes it's through a sickness. Sometimes they said it's through a failed marriage. Sometimes it's through other things where we just come to the end of ourselves that God can finally say, all right, let's go. I got rid of all that junk. I got rid of all that other stuff. Focus on me. I'm here. I'm the issue. I'm the priority. Now we can we can build something. It's happened to me. I know some of you out here. It's happened to you. God will sometimes cause you to limp in order to strengthen our faith. Your greatest ally in your life may show up sometimes looking like an adversary. Your greatest ally may show up sometime looking like an adversary, inviting saying, come on, let's go, let's go, let's wrestle, let's fight, let's battle. If he does, remember Jacob. Remember Jacob. Stay with God and do not give up. Jesus said, he who endures to the end, say it with me, shall be saved. God is looking for tenacious, never give up, never say die, I'm going to hold on to the end type of faith. Not the type of fate that runs when the first little storm comes into your life. That ain't what, that's, that's, that's got, God will just use that to separate. God's looking for Jacobs, people that'll hold on to him and believe in him, even when they've got every reason not to. Even when he looks like he's against you. Even when he looks like he's an adversary, you still hold on because he's God. I was reading this the other day about Peter, you remember when God is fed the, uh, Jesus has fed the 5,000 and then they, he crosses the sea, uh, the, the sea of Galilee and they come to the other side and he's teaching them and he starts teaching them some hard things and they all leave. They all forsake him and said who is this guy? Why is he saying weird stuff like this? And he turns to his disciples and he said, are you going to leave me? And Peter says, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of life. Are you going to leave me, God says, when times get hard? Are you going to leave me when the doctor calls with that diagnosis? Are you going to to leave me when your husband walks out or your wife walks out? Are Are you going to leave me? Or are you going to do like Jacob? Are you just going to cry and hold on for dear life? That's the kind of faith that God loves to bless. That is the tenacious faith. That, that, that God's looking for. And by the way, trust me, when those things happen, you hold on, you will come out of it a different person. You won't be the same. You won't be the same. You won't be the person who's, who... You, everything changes as it did for, for Jacob. Next week, we'll turn to uh, Genesis 33. The title of our lesson next week is Complacency. Unfortunately, Jacob is just like us. We'll come out of some of the greatest battles of our life stronger than we've ever been, and we immediately get complacent. (laughs) I don't know why we do it, but Jacob is no different from us, and we'll see that next week.